welcome back to the Cyclone Family Podcast. It is week three of the show being back. It is week two of the football season, and there's just so much exciting stuff to get to. Thank you so much for joining us, for listening again, despite dropping one day later due to our long weekend travels. We certainly appreciate you taking your time to listen in, especially when it is a little bit off of our normal schedule. I am Jamie Steyer Johnson. As always, I am joined once again by my brother, Eric Steyer. Hello. He's here, folks, as well as a special guest we have coming for the second half of our show. But no spoilers. We'll get there when we get there. But in the meantime, Eric, let's talk a little bit of week one. Now, we experienced this game a little bit differently than probably most of our listeners did as we were out of town. We were out uh, celebrating with family. We moved our Christmas up a couple months because, uh, as it happens, the Steyers happen to be a little bit busy in the month of December. Uh Tends to be a little bit of a time for basketball and such things. But uh, we were out in Ohio. We were tailgating the Ohio State game, having a good time out there, which was great, except for the fact that uh, no one in Columbus seemed to be that concerned about Iowa State versus Southeast Missouri State. So kind of hard to watch the game there. We both ended up watching the majority of it on the way home to get an idea of how it went. Obviously, we followed it as much as we could. But by the time we actually watched the game itself, we knew what the result was, um, so it gives you a little bit of a different uh, different experience. But I found myself at the beginning of the game when you watch Southeast Missouri State, you're, they're kind of marching down the field. They're making some good drives. They get real, real close to scoring on the first drive before the Cyclones were able to get that turnover, that interception in the clutch. Um, things looked in the beginning kind of like we've seen in the past where okay you're starting off a little bit sluggish you really have a lot to pull together and so as much as I knew that it had to improve that was certainly a little bit concerning but things certainly did improve as the game went on the defense ended up holding the opponent to only 10 points then the second half you know it, it just it certainly got a lot better but what was your kind of thoughts as you were watching the game having some idea of what had happened but not having watched the full game itself well first of all i just may f- i want to say it made me feel a little bit better that even at ohio state games you could get absolutely no cell reception <laughs> outside the stadium so like we can hardly get any updates luckily they had football games up on some big screens so I could catch it on the bottom line every once in a while to get a score update. But um, as far as the game goes, I was just a little bit surprised to see the approach Iowa State took on offense. You know, The defense is what it is. It's usually a little bit vanilla at the start just to kind of get a feel for the offense, and especially Southeast Missouri. I think they came in with a different offense than Iowa State was expecting, yes. I think. They threw the ball a little more than Iowa State was expecting, and the QB scrambled probably probably a little more than we were expecting. And so that kind of uh, threw the defense for a loop a little bit at the start. And, you know, you said they made the big play to come up with the stop, and then they got settled in a little bit. But on the offensive side, I think I was surprised to see them just basically come out and just throw the ball around the yard to start the game. I think like maybe their first – five or six plays were all passes and in years past, I feel like we would never see something like that with like Brees Hall and the 
offensive attack that we had. So um, just to see Iowa State air the ball out to the receivers and not just, you know, handoffs and short passes to tight ends and things like that. It was kind of a kind of a nice little refreshing thing to see um, after seeing the offense that we've seen in past years, even though it has been efficient. It was kind of nice to see a, a different look out there. And I'm guessing Deckers has something to do with that. And, you know, the receivers that we have have something to do with that. But just come out and be efficient on offense, score touchdowns on the first three drives by really throwing the ball down the field, mostly to Xavier Hutchinson. It was kind of a, a nice little thing to see. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. It really caught me a little bit off guard when all of a sudden they're coming out and they're really just slinging it. Uh, they're looking to march down the field. I I was certainly really impressed. Uh, I talked last week a little bit about how excited I was to see how Xavier Hutchinson adjusted to this new leadership role, this new role as really one of, if not the biggest offensive threat that they have between the uh, running backs and wide receivers. And obviously in, in this particular game, he was up to the challenge to go out there and just dominate the first half. Like he did was really, really impressive. Um, seemed to be just engaged, really ready at any point in time. And even when all of a sudden they're having to adjust and they're trying to cover him more and more, uh, th they couldn't do a whole lot to stop him there in the first half. Really what stopped him from racking up even more stats was the shift at halftime of moving to more of a ground game seeing okay can we get some of these other weapons involved we've got a pretty good lead built up let's see who else we can get running you know you're going to Gerald Brock much much more frequently you're looking for Jalen Null a little bit you've got um, some of the tight ends getting in there you've got Hakana you've got uh, Easton Dean I think his catch was in the first half, I want to say, but uh, just looking around a lot more. But even so, you could see that Hutchinson, when he was out there on the field, he was out there running his routes. He was engaged. And so uh, obviously he had three touchdowns. So it's not like he could really complain much. But even when there was a concerted effort to go elsewhere, I really like the leadership he continued to show out there. And obviously Decker is a, uh, has the arm like promised uh had i think pretty good uh pretty good efficiency i think he made good decisions obviously going to need maybe a little time to adjust to pacing as you start facing bigger better opponents uh everyone i think has some of those growing pains there but i was really really impressed with his first showing as you know, the guy out there on offense, he seemed really, I'm going to borrow a word that I use ad nauseum during basketball season. When I'm talking women's basketball, it's my very favorite word there. It's composed. He seemed very composed. He seemed like he had been there before. So I really enjoyed that particular aspect. Now I want to go into a couple of thoughts, uh, kind of expounding on things we talked about last week, things we expected, things we maybe didn't expect. Uh, what I want to know, Eric, is what was your biggest surprise of the game? It's I don't know that there was anything that was like totally shocking. There weren't a lot of major records broken or anything like that, but you can start kind of getting some things that uh, start getting some answers to some questions there. I think it would just be a thing like I talked about before, just the fact that they came out and they really threw first. And then I feel like they tried to use that to set up the run more in the second half where in the past it's always been 
I feel like it's mostly been a run first approach. And so to come out and throw the ball as much as they did to start the game, I think that was probably the biggest surprise to me, even though looking at their personnel, it's something that uh, it's not entirely unexpected, you know, looking at the personnel that Iowa state came in with this year. But um, I just, I still wasn't exactly sure if they would actually commit to doing that, even though, you know, the personnel maybe does fit that a little more. But I kind of liked it, to be honest, like I said before. So I think that was the biggest surprise to me. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked last week. We talked our first week about how you could see on paper that there probably should be some significant differences to the way they run things on the field this year. But you had to see it actually happen. You know, so are you going to try and just stick with what's been successful, even when your personnel changes? Some people hang on to those strategies so, so strongly when it would really be better for them to change things. And so I think it's certainly really encouraging to see right off the bat, they're playing to their strengths. They're not, you know, scared of having to work through, through some changes and shake things up Uh, and kind of in the same vein. uh, I don't know that it was a major surprise, but it sort of surprised me in that, at halftime, they made such a significant shift in where their focus was. And of course, like I said, part of that is because of the fact that they felt like they were in control of the game. They felt like they could kind of dictate what was happening. But for them to come out and just basically say, yeah, we threw it really well in the first half. And now we are going to make a concerted effort to just jam the ball down your throat. It's like we are going to run and run and run and run. So the fact that they looked at it and said, yes, we had success with this in the first half and they didn't try to, you know, over plan things. They didn't try to say, well, let's see, maybe we can keep all the running backs a secret so that no one will know who is really going to be the go-to next week. They said, no, no, we're, we're going to Brock first, which most people knew that anyway, but they also brought all of the other running backs out on the field to give them a little bit of room to play. And uh, obviously one of those situations may have ended a little bit poor than the others. We'll get to that in a moment with Cartivius Norton, but I really liked that they, opened up the playbook, opened up the lineup more than they have in the past years in that opening game. Yep, I agree. So we've talked a lot about what we saw. We've talked a lot about the things we liked, but we had a lot of questions coming into this game. And I think we probably still do. Do you feel like any of these questions have started to be answered or are there just so many unknown still like are there any conclusions that you can kind of draw about specific players or specific situations based on that first game or is everything still kind of up in the air i mean i feel like there's not a whole lot you can take away just because of the opponent um i think we'll probably learn a lot more next week about when it comes down to it you know really what the plan is as far as personnel and things of that nature so really, in this game, I don't know if we really learned a whole lot. Um, maybe a little bit about the running back situation. Um, it, it looked like, I mean, Jair Brock is the main guy, which is what we kind of all expected coming into the year. But I think Norton, uh, Cartavius Norton, looked to me, at least to me, like he 
was more than capable of being the number two back out there. You know, Sanders and Silas got some run there in the second half as well. But I think uh, it looks like it's going to be Gyro Brock, and then depending on the health of uh, Cartavius Norton, it looks like he may be the number two guy going forward as well, with the other guys also filling in in certain situations. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly looks like there's a good chance we could see all three or all four at different times. But um, yeah, I, I think that he certainly set himself apart from the other two. I, I kind of had the same thought. Um, I wish that there was more that we could take away from this with a stronger level of confidence. Uh, obviously, the defense got better as the game went on. I like that they were in good spots, but they also gave up some plays that they probably shouldn't have. And so there, there's just kind of the two sides of the coin there. And you have to say, okay, which direction are you going to go? Are you going to shore up some of those things as you get more experienced? Or are you going to go the other direction as you start playing better teams? So uh, certainly something that could go either way there. Um, and then not really a conclusion we can draw. But I will say that I'm going to find one positive in a negative play and say that I think it's good to be put in different situations in games like that, where ultimately the result isn't in question. They kept it pretty well in hand the whole time. Um, But considering the opponent that they have this week with Iowa, the fact that there was a turnover, maybe not the worst thing, because look, Odds are Iowa's going to force one. Like, that's just the kind of team they are. And so the fact that they were able to mentally and physically recover after the play and in the play, you know, very easily that interception could have turned into a pick six if it weren't for, I believe it was Jalen Knoll that ran the guy down and got him out of bounds and then ended up um, saving it from a touch. The defense ended up saving it from a touchdown there on the turnover. So, um, I certainly liked what I was seeing as far as mental toughness in that one particular situation. And I really hope that it ends up that this is just a mentally tough team. I can't exactly draw that conclusion yet, but there's a little bit of an indication that that would be the case, which would be obviously a really, really big positive. So injuries we talked last week again one of our victories would be coming out without many significant injuries um obviously you're usually gonna have a couple scary situations there wasn't anything that looked season ending which you know big thumbs up on that one however uh as both of us mentioned the cartavius norton situation kind of went off after a really great run holding his hammy and whenever you see that it gets a little bit scary and there's been so much speculation of this is this a cramp or is this a strain and knowing how Iowa State is with injuries we probably won't know that until the team takes the field and we see if he's in street clothes so uh that's certainly a little bit of a hit if it ends up that it is a strain on the hammy and that we would be without him. Uh, because like you said, you know, you really, it, you really liked his play. It seemed like he was able to kind of start to separate from the rest of the group. So that would certainly be uh, a loss for Iowa state's offense. Yeah. I mean, we saw what he could do. He had the three carries for 21 yards and then he also had a really nice play on a, kind of a broken play where he he ended up like reversing field and going 20 yards 
for a 20 yard reception on a play that started well behind the line of scrimmage, but it got called back due to holding, but you could just kind of see the ability that he has out there. And so losing him, I mean, it's a big blow just from what we've seen from him, but luckily it's probably at a position where Iowa state could most afford it to be honest. So, I mean, that's the only, that's the silver lining, I guess. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing like you want, you would love to have him particularly in the game if he's not able to be there, like they'll survive. They've got the depth there, but would certainly hurt. Um, and then I, I think if unless I've I've really missed something, the other probably biggest name of note is the fact that there were thoughts, there were some some discussion of maybe Remsburg would be back for game one and was not. And so not really a whole lot of update on the timetable there would certainly be a big addition for the Cyclones as well. Yeah, and I think one of the safeties, uh, Malik Verdon, he didn't play at all. So I don't know if he's mm. injured or if he just maybe he got passed up or something like that. I mean, I'm not sure he was dressed, but he didn't play at all. So yeah, that's kind of curious about that. You see yeah, the people I, dressed, but yeah, because I heard I read some good things about him in the camp, and I then I think he got dinged up. So I don't know if he's still out or maybe he. I mean, I think Jeremiah Cooper did a pretty good job. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if he's out there on Saturday or if he's still not playing. Yeah, certainly something to watch going forward. See if we can figure out the direction that that's going. Well, man, week one, uh, an absolute blast. I tell you what, uh, when we were out there in Ohio, uh, one thing that I saw a lot of was some brand new home field apparel gear. I saw a lot of people with, um, I think I want to say they call it like the sprinting O or something. They've got like the slanted O that I really, really like. It's got the Buckeye on there and everything. They've got a really good um, mascot logo one. I loved all of that. I'm sitting here right now in my home field branded t-shirt their actual company logo huge fan of that one that was my very very comfy shirt for my ride home um i have been sitting there shopping ever since eric was telling me about the youngstown state mascot that he likes so much i've been kind of methodically putting together a potential order but gosh am i excited about getting in there um i I'm really struggling with what to do, how, how to limit myself. Because like Eric mentioned, once you get going, like it really feels like, how do you even, how do you even stop yourself? Because it's, it's really addicting. Eric, have you found any other mascots that you're really leaning towards besides uh, the golfing penguin? I haven't. No, I haven't really looked recently, but I'm That's sure if good. I had looked, I could I could find <laughs> something. That's good. Well, if you also out there would like to join us in our shopping, uh, obviously it's a little bit of a scary, uh, scary proposition based on how I describe it and the kind of cult-like uh, following it has with really good reason, but I promise you'll love it. Go to homefieldapparel.com for the most comfortable vintage college apparel you will find 
literally anywhere, like anywhere at all. You will not find anything better. Homefieldapparel.com. Use code Cyclone12. That is going to get you 15% off your first order. And it's worth it because then you can buy 15% more items and not feel bad about it is my logic. So I will certainly be sharing all of this information with all the family we just saw and making sure that they know that that's the way to get all of their awesome Buckeyes apparel, get their Cyclone apparel for when basketball season starts and they're back to following mom's team, um, all that fun stuff. But they've got so many different logos. They've got so many different shirts. It's the most comfortable. They just launched a line of unbranded shirts. So they've just got the plain t-shirts because they're like the most comfortable around and you can buy them without any of the logos so if you're like me and you can't wear graphic tees to work which I know boo but it happens you can just go get a plain home field t-shirt so highly recommend those as well like I said homefieldapparel.com use code cyclone12 to get 15% off your first order we love our friends over at homefield all right that was that was one of the shorter uh, homefield reads I think I've done we tend to really get into it on those but i wanted to keep it brief because we still have another section of the show today with a very very special guest um little does everyone in my life know that by being close with me in any capacity you are dooming yourself to a life of being dragged onto podcasts and various exploits um with that very exciting introduction i'll tell you we've got uh We've got the one in our family that that goes against the grain. We have a little bit of an insider for the other side joining us today from the basement of my house. We've got my husband, the Hawkeye, Christian Johnson, to give us a little bit of perspective on what we might see from the Hawkeyes this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I, I know that you didn't ever expect to get this invitation, but here you are and we appreciate it. Yep, happy to be here. All right, well, we're going to kind of go into a little bit of Cyclone stuff. You can give us a little bit of your thoughts on the Hawks. And, you know, we'll all just have a, have a good good family time. So, um, Eric, I'm kind of trying to think here of what are some ways that Iowa State can find similarity between week one and week two? You know, you've got... Southeast Missouri, obviously, it, it's a different level of play. Uh, but what did they do that Iowa State can kind of pull from to use for their game plan this week? Well, as far as Iowa State goes, I think on the offensive side, starting out by throwing the ball, I think that'll probably be a better approach just because it's so hard to run against Iowa. Like, they're always one of the best teams against the run. So. Mm-hmm. You can just try to pound it up up the middle with runs, but it's just probably not going to work. So I think I like the approach from the game one for Iowa State of throwing the ball. I think that has a better chance of succeeding. But then on the other side, it also probably has a better chance for turnovers. So kind of have to weigh those things. But um, And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think we saw from Southeast Missouri is those the shorter routes. I think that's probably what I was going to go to. I mean, we've all heard about their quarterback situation, everything like that. So I think we'll probably see them start out with some shorter passes, especially if Iowa state comes out with the softer vanilla defense at the start, like we saw against Southeast Missouri. 
So I think those are a couple of things that we know from game one that we may see translate over to game two and yeah. help prepare Iowa State. I, I kind of had the same thought, and especially on the defensive end for Iowa State, you know, like you said, quarterback, the wide receiver situation for Iowa is well kind of shaky right now. So uh, the fact that they had they game planned, obviously they they were just kind of fleshing things out early on, but the one person on offense that everybody knew was a threat for Southeast Missouri was Gino Hess, who ended up being, I mean, really not a major, major factor in the game at all. And it wasn't in small part due to the way Iowa state covered him. And so the fact that they were able to keep a running back um, to a, a pretty mild game, certainly I think bodes well for a team that will likely be relying more on the run than on the pass. So hopefully that's something that can translate there. Um, we've, we've talked about this a little bit here, but for Iowa, their kind of injury depth chart situation is, is kind of crazy at, I mean, especially one position in particular right now, which is the wide receiver room. I mean, it's been decimated by injury. And Christian, I'll have you jump in here in a sec on this, but you've got no Nico Regani yet. You've got no Keegan Johnson as of yet. You know, there was a little bit of a snafu. They put out the updated depth chart. He was on there. Then they sent out a revised one that he wasn't. So some question marks there since people thought he might be available going into week one. So still wouldn't be shocking if somehow he made a reappearance uh, for week two here. But then you've got a couple people that were hurt in the offseason as well. You've got Deontay Vines, who's out for a about half the season and Jackson Ritter who's out for the whole season so I mean what do you even look for in that sort of situation with your wide receivers just so decimated yeah yeah I mean it's a challenge I mean it's one that they struggled with um last year really that so uh, two years back they had um Brandon Smith and um Amir Smith-Marset two um two NFL caliber um receivers and and kind of after their graduation it's been it's been a struggle to, to fill the shoes they um they had a really a great get with uh Charlie Jones last year who transferred in um had a, had a fairly good season um last year and then as as we all know transferred um transferred over to Purdue um I'm sure that that they made quite a few headlines this week with his performance um on that what was that a Friday night game against yeah. Penn State he had um, quite the game there, and and Tyrone Tracy, a guy who they thought could could play some, um, some meaningful football for them, also transferred to Purdue. Um, and then Nico Regani and um, Keegan Johnson would have been um, two of two of their three kind of top receivers last year as far as wide receivers go. So, um, yeah, as thin as as it gets, um, the 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 good news there is they've got obviously uh, Sam Laporta, who was their leading receiver, and I. Um, if I believe he would have had, I think he led the Big Ten in both receptions and yards last year, if I'm not mistaken, for a tight end that is. Um, so he, he's a guy who can who can do some damage. And and at, at the end of the day, as far as uh, for the wide receivers goes, it's it's just about putting them in positions to succeed. You're not going to run anything complex. You're you're you know you're going to run simple. Um, simple routes and just try to play pitch and catch. And that's I, I think certainly an, an X factor for this game is. Um, going to be just just completion percentage. Just get the ball in the receiver's hands. You don't even have to get a lot of yards out of catch. You you, you just have to get, you know, three, four, five, six, you know, kind of yard 
um, gains from the from the receivers. And yeah, as, as much as I was a team that would love to run the ball, I mean, they they really do. They need to to play that short pass game. And I think that just getting the ball into the receivers hands is something that's going to be um, a major, major help in in relieving some of that pressure as as I mean, as, as much as they want to talk about Spencer Petras, the run game was not good. Um, and and certainly the line play was not great last week either. Yeah, there was there are some things that could be improved upon. And like you said, you know, as much as you want to just run it, run it, run it, that's never going to be a, a super reliable option. And especially you, you've had injuries in the running back room as well. And you've got one coming back this week with Gavin Williams back from injury. LaShawn Williams kind of slid into that first running back position last week. But what does that mean for Iowa to have? Gavin and LaShawn available this week. Yep, th- those are two guys who who kind of split uh, second and third running back carry. So neither of them is is super inexperienced, and they both um, had had some respectable um, games in in relief roles. So th- so they're they're certainly they know what they're doing um, out there. Again, and as far as that goes, it's it's the the line play that really um, needs to shore up. I think I think what has been challenging for for Iowa from an identity kind of standpoint the past couple of years is um, you know, I was used to being that team um, that could just, you know, be stubborn and just keep running and just, you know, just completely neglect to have a pass game at, at times. Um, this is not something that's foreign for them, but I think they are used to being able to push teams around. And I think in recent years, it's, you know, you've you've had the Linderbaums and you've had the, the Tristan Wirfs and, and, you know, all of those first round draft pick kind of players. But you've seen that that um, collectively Iowa's line play has not been you know, one through five is as stellar in recent years. And when, with his own running scheme, uh, you know, you have one, you have one weak link or one guy misses block and your running game suffers. And, and at that point, you know, you know, back in, back in those, those days, um, 10 plus years ago, they, they could, you know, they could get away with it with the quality of lines that they, um, that they had. But at this point, you know, it's, you, you have a struggling quarterback, um, you have a line that is one to five, you know, a, a middling line, really there, this is not a, this is not a, you know, what you've seen from Iowa in the past on the offensive line. Um, so, I mean, they really, they really will need to, to get a little bit, a bit creative and, and certainly shore up the line play. Cause that, that will help um, the running and the passing game. Yeah. Obviously for Iowa State, it would help if they, they didn't have the line game shored up quite yet, because that's certainly something that uh, would give a little bit of an edge, something that, like you said, has been so consistent in past years. And so to look at that and say, hey, maybe there's a chance that they aren't in peak form, that they aren't going to be super dominant. It, it gives you a little bit of a glimmer of something to look out for there. So uh, I've got one other question for you, which I mean, it's it's all anyone's talking about, to be quite frank, uh, both in Iowa City in Ames and, and elsewhere across the country, just based off of what happened this past weekend. And that is the fact that after the game, Kirk Ferentz was was pretty adamant about the fact that he didn't think that the issue was with solely with Spencer Petras. He said, you know, we didn't feel like we supported him enough out there in the field. It, there was issues to go around, essentially, is what he was saying there uh, and kind of committed to him being their starter next week. And so there's obviously a lot of Cyclone fans who see and hear a lot about Iowa because of proximity, but I'll admit, you know, I'm not someone who's followed the program super closely. So when he says something like that, like, how how real is that? Like, how likely is it that that is 
very, very accurate in that we come out and it's Spencer Petrus or bust next week. Kirk Ferentz is, is well-documented as a, as a guy who sticks with, uh, with his veterans. If it, it, Nine times out of ten, if a guy is a junior and the guy behind him is a sophomore or freshman, even through struggles, he's going to stick with, with the seniority. He's, he's always had a, a, his teams he prefers to have his veterans playing, even if it's sometimes the, not, the most skilled guy or not, you know, not the guy with the highest upside. And we've seen it before um, where injuries, like, for example, with C.J. Beathard, a guy who's now, you know, he, he was a respectable quarterback. He's, he's a backup quarterback in, in the NFL. He had a decent career at Iowa. He, his career started because of, uh, you know, a quarterback uh, more senior to him being injured. So, so as far as, as far as his committal to uh, to more veteran quarterback, first and foremost, that's not necessarily surprising. And, and also he's, he's, you know, he's known as being loyal to a fault. Um, that's, that's, that's something that people have always said about him, but uh, on the other side of it, um, uh, obviously he, as, as I've already stated, you know, he, he's not the only issue. The line, the line certainly was not great. He did not have a lot of time. Um, there were a couple times where clearly, um, the play had started to break down from the line and he, you know, Spencer Petrus just did not make a quick read or, you know, throw the ball away, step up in the pocket, make a quick decision. And on his one interception, um, you know, it, when you break the play down, you can see that he really just did not make some great decisions there. Um, but but yeah, so so certainly um, he did not play well, and there's there's no sugarcoating that he had a had a one of the worst games of his career. And he's you know this is he started pretty much the full year. The past two years, he did have um, a couple games where he was injured slash benched, which was also kind of a a point of contention there last year. But um, but behind him, um, you obviously you have Alex Padilla who played a, two games in relief again during that kind of injured benched uh, situation um, he had last year and, and the results were mixed. Look, uh, Spencer Petrus is a guy who has a career about 56, 57% completion um, rate. Um, last year he was 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions, I believe nine touchdowns, five interceptions the year before. Um, he, he's not out there, you know, slinging it um, by any means, but um, in relief duty last year, um, Alex Padilla had a 49%, I believe, completion percentage. He had one decent game against a, a middling Northwestern, did not really wow um, in any way, shape, or form. Um, and so really, you, you know, you've got, you've got some evidence, you know, you've got some evidence to say that, uh, that you're, you're not looking at a whole lot better um, right behind him. Um, and so as baffling as it may be to, to stick with somebody through that, um, you, you can see that this is certainly not the most talented quarterback room that he's ever had. And then the third string quarterback is, um, is a freshman as, and as I documented, a, a true freshman is generally not going to trot out there, um, especially not this early in the season. So I, overall, not, nothing's ex exactly surprising there. Um, but at the same time, I, I would not be surprised to see Alex Padilla enter, enter the game. It's, it's he, that it, it took a couple games last year for, for Kirk Ferentz to finally, um, roll him out there, but he he may he may see some time and and just just the same you could be you would not be surprised to to not see him at all. Okay, all right. Well, with that great preview on kind of what we're looking at with Iowa, I want to go back to the both of you, Christian and Eric. Let's get into just some scenarios, some thoughts on this week. So, if you're sitting there at the end of the game on Saturday. Obviously, there's not a moral victory. Like, we're not playing that game. Last week, I said, what's a successful game aside from a win? 
and that was assuming we would win. This week, I'll say kind of the same thing. Assume that your team has won. What else would be kind of your ideal? So in other words, what's your best case scenario for you to come out of the game and say, wow, like in the realm of possibility, besides like we win by 65 points and that's in the first quarter, you know, let's, let's be realistic, but what's your best case scenario for your respective team in this game? Um, Well, for Iowa state, I mean, I would really just talk about if Iowa state wins, basically it probably meant that they didn't turn the ball over. So, or if they did, it didn't really cost them. I mean, obviously it didn't cost them a game if they did win. So I think if you're looking at it from an Iowa State perspective, looking back, a perfect game would be, you know, not turning the ball over, taking care of the ball, and, you know, just not messing it up on special teams enough to where it costs you the game. I think if you're looking back at the end of the game, it would probably be, you know, 100 Eckers taking care of the ball, not making any dumb decisions, the offense moving the ball enough to just score enough to win the game probably in the twenties. I mean, I don't think either team is going to get to 30 points. So you're probably not going to see, you know, either team putting up 35 to 40 points. Although to be fair, sometimes in this series, when you least expect it, that's when it happens. But um, <laughs> I, I don't expect it to happen on Saturday. So I think just looking back, if they can take care of the ball um, and, you know, perform just reasonably well on special teams, I think that would, be what you'd want because in all likelihood Iowa State is probably not just going to go in there and steamroll them. So I think that's probably what it would take to win the game. All right. And and um, on the Iowa side, obviously, you know, we've heard over the years, defense, special teams, and, you know, the, 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 that's the popular stat has been that that nine to zero turnover ratio in favor um, of Iowa, I can't recall if that was since 2017, but it was it, it was something like that, um, some some ridiculous number there. So that's certainly certainly that 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 turnover battle on both sides is undoubtedly um, important. Um, and if you look at last year, right, um, Eric was kind of talking about um, you know wanting to to emphasize the pass for for Iowa State, but that's something where last year Brock Purdy I had to believe three interceptions and they had a respectable um, run game, and and at the end of the day, you know. That's that can be a, a slippery slope there too. Um, but as far as what would be kind of the the golden scenario for Iowa um, in, in the special teams battle, um, Iowa has obviously been a team that's dominated the special teams in, in this series. But um, last week, um, they they struggled. The the they they've got a sophomore and a freshman kicker. They just graduated two um, kickers who had a lot um, of reps, and so that's somewhere where um, for Iowa, it's it's. I, w- I would say kind of the, the, the big stat you're looking for is finishing drives um, pa- that, that start near or past midfield, anything even past their own 40-yard um, line. Because last week, um, again, pe- people will um, look at the score, but I think that the bigger thing is um, that starting field position where Iowa had so many opportunities past midfield that, that drives weren't, weren't finished. So the perfect scenario, I would say, is to have let, – let's call it even just 100% red zone uh, scoring percentage. No missed field goals inside the 20 um, and finish drives um, that start at or near midfield. Really, um, you know, 
and that kind of goes back to that that completion percentage focus. Just no no big mistakes, and that's that's kind of how Spencer Petrus's game looks uh, looked last year. He he was um, around fifty percent completion, but he had a couple just nice um, big big red zone passes that um, led to touchdowns. Um, and ultimately, he didn't make that big mistake. And so, I mean, his, his game last year was not exactly pretty, but he he did enough to put his team in a position to win. And I think for Iowa, um, just again finishing drives in the red zone, um, because you know the the defense, whether it's you know whether it's punts, uh, turnovers, whatever it is, the the Iowa team is built to you know kind of slowly move towards the the other team's side of the field. So it's just when it, it you know you don't know if it's going to be the first quarter, the second quarter, third quarter. But once once that ball starts pushing towards the other side of the field, you just have to move it even 10, 20 yards at a time um, and finish your drives when you get a chance. All right. Well, we've talked about what the perfect game would look like, and we're hearing good special teams. We're hearing not turning the ball over, turning the ball over less. You know, we're not hearing, oh, you're going to have this flashy offense. And you've got Eric saying, I don't know that either team will score t- more than 20 points. And with all of that, I've got one semi-rhetorical, but also kind of serious question, which is, is there any chance at all that this game is enjoyable to watch? Or is the only way of having this be like a fun day your team getting a really ugly win because the way I'm seeing it right now I I don't think that it gets pretty I don't think there's really almost any chance that this looks pretty at any point and I mean that's kind of been the name of the game in this series the past couple years most people associate a pretty game with lots of offense for the most part so in that case you know the last you know, in quotes, quote unquote, pretty game in this series probably would be 2017. I think it was the overtime game. You know, it was like 44 or 41 where Iowa won it at the end. But I just don't see there being a lot of offense in this game. Although that doesn't mean that it can't be pretty, I guess. I mean, if you're a, de- a fan of defense, you'll probably <laughs> love it. But um, if you're a fan of offense, you more than likely won't see a lot of that. So, I mean, it's hard to tell. Who knows? Maybe maybe Iowa was holding stuff back that they'll use in this game. Um, maybe they saw that South Dakota State couldn't move the ball against them, so they went more vanilla. Who knows? But I just can't picture there being a ton of scoring. I'm guessing that I do expect Iowa's offense to look better than it did in week one, mostly just for the blunt fact that it can't look a whole lot worse um to be honest so i do think it'll be better than it was last week and as far as iowa state goes it'll just be interesting to see if they can replicate the offense they had just in any sort of capacity last week into this week because it's obviously not going to be as easy as it was last week against semo but um just to see if they can get any get any of those easy plays this week i mean you aren't going to get many of them but maybe just enough well christian for you guys i mean if you can just belt some punts that's that's pretty football right there right yeah and and like i said i mean really i mean this iowa team is not is not a ton different than what we saw last year and 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 i mean the, the game played out last year like like a successful iowa game typically does right you win the turnover battle um, they had they had a fumble return for a touchdown, so defensive score. It's always kind of a 
um, a big thing. So, so you know, th this Iowa team is exactly who kind of we thought they were. Um, again, they performed worse, and I think we're, we we all kind of know what Iowa team is marching out on the field. I think the Iowa State um, team is the team with a lot more question marks as you know as far as how good exactly they are. Um, and, and how well they'll perform, you know, they've got a lot of, of uh, fresh bodies that um, have not, you know, have not played a lot of um, reps, starting reps, and, and a lot of guys who have not played um, a lot of meaningful minutes um, in, in an environment like Kinnick uh, will be on, on Saturday. So I'm certainly interested to see kind of what, what this Iowa State team has. Um, but, but for Iowa, yeah, you, you kind of know what's, what's going to be out there and, 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 certainly beauties in the eye of the beholder as far as that goes i mean if you're an outsider i think you you could certainly admire that it seems that the, the defense seems to get better um every year and the offense seems to get worse and they still find ways to win so um if you if you're a fan of, of finding ways to win um that that could be pretty but um but no con conventionally pretty i i can't remember the last time um it really it really was that's that's fair. That's about what I would probably say as well. Well, guys, thank you so much, Christian, for your help on previewing that. Um, I want to just give kind of a, a call to action, a reminder here. We're not really going to dive in on this topic this week. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention today was just a reminder that, hey, NFL season's also starting and the Cyclones have uh, some players up there that are definitely going to be ones to watch. I mean, obviously, David Montgomery on the Bears is going to be someone that is projected to see quite a bit of action. Uh, you've got Alan Lazard, who's kind of moved up to first slot wide receiver. Rumors of maybe some injury. So fingers crossed that he's out there on the field this weekend. Um, obviously, a lot, a lot, a lot of chatter about Brees Hall. Um, a lot of excitement around him. So those are the ones who you're looking at potentially contributing the most. But you've also got uh, a decent list of other Cyclones that are going to be at least suited up out there. You've got Brock Purdy, who's going to be uh, at least on the depth chart for San Francisco. You've got Matt Leo on the defensive side out there for the Eagles. Um, you've got Kenny Nwangu, who's going to be the kick returner again for the Vikings. Really made a splash last year with some really, really solid returns. You've got Jake Hummel on the Rams. And then you've got Yomo Owazurike out there with the Broncos as well. So just a reminder to kind of check those out. We'll see where those guys end up standing after this weekend. It'll give us a little bit more to talk about as far as that goes. I know I'm not a huge, huge, huge follower of the NFL, so I don't have a whole lot of projection of exactly how well they're supposed to be. But I know, hey, there's talk. There's talk about those Cyclones in the NFL. And Christian, I know that you've uh, grown used to that with your Hawks up there, but it's certainly exciting to see those guys out there doing well well hey that's that's kind of what we've got this week this episode went a little longer than i usually like to but i think it was i think it was worth it christian i really appreciate you joining us and giving us a little bit of perspective on your hawkeyes yep anytime all right i'm gonna hold you to that i mean it's not relevant very often but when it is I know where to find you. <laughs> and Eric, as always, thank you so much for joining, especially joining the two of us after spending the whole weekend with us. I certainly appreciate it. Your perspective is always very, very, very much appreciated. Yep, no problem. 
All right, guys. Well, the two of you appreciate you joining us. And then out there, all you listeners, thank you so much for coming back week after week to the Cyclone Family Podcast. We are so happy to have you here. We'll be back uh, on our normal schedule next week. We will be coming out on that Monday after hopefully the first Cyclone football Cyhawk victory since I've been dating Christian. So fingers crossed. I desperately need a little bit of bragging rights. All right. This has been the Cyclone Family Podcast on the 1012 Network. We have moved over to Sports Drink. So if you were previously going to Anchor to find us, you will now find us on Art19. But if you're listening, it means that you found us like normal. We are still going to be on all your usual listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, all that fun stuff. And we are still the Cyclone Family Podcast brought to you by the 1012 Network. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week.